Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, Davis. So, you may not have known it, but we've been having a little kind of mini Christmas series um, where we've just looked at a particular theme and the nativity story. So, um, in particular, we've been looking at the sacrifices, particular heroes in this nativity story have made Um, and they have gone without in this life because their passions were actually on eternity they had these heavenly enthusiasms which meant that today they could go without they could forsake something in their life at that moment because they had a faith that pointed into the future so we looked at the teenager Mary, 13 years old probably, and we wondered at the fact that this 13-year-old girl gave up her ambitions for what she thought her life should be, because when you are overcome by the Holy Spirit and you give birth to the Messiah, nothing is the same again. You you don't get to dream of being an engineer or uh, an air steward. It's a case of you are now the, the uh, you are now the mother of the Messiah, and everything changes. Um, and we also looked at the fact that she gave up her body. I, I, I sometimes wonder. We think we make these great sacrifices, but Mary gave up her very body to give birth to Jesus, and then she worried about him for the whole of his life and saw him die. So we have Mary giving up stuff in this life because she had these heavenly enthusiasms. Next, we looked at those bunch of shepherds, which were so wonderfully acted out by our own kids in the video. And we saw how, on the hillside, they encountered these angels, and they gave up their jobs, their flocks, their responsibilities, everything they had defined them, and they went into the town of Bethlehem to search for a baby. And both Mary and the shepherds knew 
that denying themselves at that point in time was going to be worth it. Why was it going to be worth it? Because they had a loving Heavenly Father that knew better than them how their life should turn out. He knew better than them uh, what was worthwhile. And more than all of that, God had blessings ahead for them. So Mary and the shepherds may have uh, not lived in luxury in this life, but after they passed away, they could look forward to the applause of the angels, the smile of God and the generosity of Jesus. And uh, so hopefully you might have picked one or two things up from that. And today we've read about another hero of this nativity story. We've read about Joseph. So we're told that this guy Joseph unexpectedly discovers that his fiancée is pregnant. Now, in Bewbush, that would encourage a kind of Jeremy Kyle confrontation and interview, and there's probably a bit of mileage on it, and you can have drama and scenes and rebukes on Facebook and Twitter arguments and all that sort of thing. And it seems that maybe Mary explained the situation to Joseph and Joseph was like, yeah, I'm not too sure I believe you. <laughs> and, or perhaps Mary didn't say anything and Joseph could see that Mary was pregnant and he felt betrayed. You know, he thought, you know, you have been unfaithful. And so he makes this decision. He makes this decision based on the fact that it looks like Mary has been unfaithful to him and unfaithful to the rule and law of God. She has um, committed uh, infidelity towards him. And um, so he decides, I'm going to separate from you. We, our marriage doesn't have any future. It is not something I can look forward to anymore. You have been unfaithful to me and to God, and so we're going to have to get divorced. But this is a kind man. And you don't hear much about Joseph. It's remarkable how little we know about him. But in this moment, he's being faithful to God's law, but he does it in a way that is kind. Instead of shaming Mary on social media, he decides to do it quietly. He decides to make sure that when they are separated, she doesn't get held up to uh, uh, social ridicule and disgrace and shame. And so we have someone in Joseph, before any angels come up, that he loves Mary and he loves God, but he loves righteousness too. And this is the internal battle that's been going on in his heart. And then Joseph nods off. Perhaps after worrying, perhaps after fretting, perhaps in the early hours of the morning when his mind suddenly gives up. And as he sleeps, he has a dream. And in that dream, he encounters a divine messenger. You know, the shepherds and Mary got the benefit of a heavenly vision while they're awake. You know, it's something they could pinch themselves and, oh, This is real, but for Joseph, he just got a dream. And the messenger says, you know what? 
Mary has said to you, it's true. Mary hasn't been unfaithful. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. She hasn't been unfaithful to God. And in fact, this baby that you look at as a possible disgrace, it's not just going to be a blessing to you and her, but it's going to be a blessing to all mankind. And then Joseph wakes up, and I really love this moment. Joseph wakes up from this dream, and you don't know what he's going to do. And you can imagine the universe holding its breath. Is Joseph going to do anything about it? Will he stick to common sense and conventional wisdom and divorce his wife-to-be? Because that's what he should do. That's what the Old Testament says. That's what experience says. That's what his, uh, uh, that's what his vision of the world has suggested. He should divorce her, and if he wants to do it quietly, so be it. That would be the normal way of doing things. That would be the way that he's taught all the way in his life up to that point. You and I know that miracles just don't happen. And they so certainly don't bring pregnancy without intercourse. It doesn't happen. It's got no parallel anywhere else in Scripture. It is this new class of miracle that is a little bit far-fetched, to say the least. So will he believe the dream? Will he allow the rest of his life, and I want to see if you can get your head around this, will he allow the whole of the rest of his life to be guided by that spurious fantasy of a dream? Now, I don't know about you, but you, um, but I've had all sorts of incredible dreams, everything from um, sort of world leader to James Bond to stuntman to whatever else, you know. And so our dreams can say all sorts of things. And is Joseph going to allow this one spurious dream change the entire of his life and go against all that he thought he knew? Now we're going to get to the uh, fun bit. Right. So I want you to imagine you are in a Canadian wilderness. I'm a bit vague as to where these bears are. This is a black bear. So I want you, you're hiking in the Canadian wilderness. You've got your, your backpack, you're alone, you don't have guns or tasers or anything else. And you come across this lovely animal, the black bear. And the black bear's hungry, and he looks at you, and you look like an appetizing meal. And so it comes at you. What should you do? And I'm taking answers from the floor. Make some noise. What do you say, Francis? Stop. No, 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 no. You need to imagine to create this story thing. So, good try. But um, in this dream of meeting this bear, what should you uh, do? So, uh, uh, Pete said, make lots of noise. What, anyone else? Lie down and don't move. Lie down and don't move. That's an interesting one. I wonder what your natural reaction when you encounter a bear. Sorry, Joe? Did you say so? Wake up. Yes, we've had that. Thank you. Don't turn your back. Any other ideas of how to deal with a black bear? 
sort of hug the bear. Excellent. You can tell who the true Christian is in, in this place. Lay dead. Excellent. Thanks, Samuel. So, for the black bear, and this is not true for all bears, but for the black bear, you stand tall, you shout, and as make as much trouble as possible. And as it comes nearer, you do as much. Now, I don't know about you, but my natural reaction when I would meet um, these great big carnivores, I'm not sure I would be up for doing that. Okay. This is a brown bear. The colour is different. It's actually a different size, uh, and uh, there are other characteristics as well. So, running and hiding and climbing a tree won't do you any good. These are my natural reactions when I face a bear. This seems to be common sense. You leg it, and you try and get out of its way. But this will run after you, and it will climb a tree after you, okay? So you've got to scrap that from your back. What do you do with a brown bear? And it is different to a black bear. Throw rocks at it. Throw rocks at it. Peter's this aggressive uh, thing. You can imagine Pete keep doing the same thing, and he will win at one stage. Anyone else? Lie down. Get your sling out. We've got some sort of David King hero over here. Okay. If you make a fuss, it will just speed up your attacker. If you make a fuss with the brown bear, he will just come at you because he thinks his meal's going to try and leg it or make a fuss and he will try and end it. So while Pete will survive a black bear, unfortunately the brown bear, uh, uh, Peter's uh, end of life is coming quicker than he hoped. The key, as uh, someone's already shouted out, is to stay calm and quiet. And even, you know, if it comes really close, then you have to play dead. And uh, uh, someone suggested that. And again, I wonder how you'd feel about this however many ton carnivore sniffing around you and you're just going, you know what, I'm going to play dead because that is the right thing to do. It's not necessarily the common sense thing to do, uh, but it is the thing that you uh, will do if you want to survive it. This is an alligator. What should you do for an alligator attack? Punch it on the nose. Punch it on the nose? Yeah. Sophia? Run away. Run away? Yep, snap, snap, definitely, Miles. Anyone else got an idea of what to do with an alligator? Sorry? Stay away from water. Well, say you're hiking along the water and you encounter an alligator. If you can run, the thing has only short legs and... Um, if you can, so if you can outrun it after about 20 feet, the alligator will leave you alone. They're quite fast over short distances, but if you can outrun it for that distance, you are safe and you're okay. The, uh, they, they love to ambush you, um, apparently. That, that, that's how they attack. Now, if they get you, They've ambushed you, you've failed to run away, you've thought perhaps, oh, it's like, a, it's like a brown bear, I'm going to play dead, and then it's got you in its jaws. Um, they go into these famous 
death rolls, where they uh, sort of uh, turn themselves over, and the idea is they uh, disorientate their prey, break their necks, and whatever else. What should you do if an alligator's got you in a death roll? Pray. Pray. Give him a round of applause. I haven't even got that down. Perhaps you should be giving this talk. So, if it has you in a death roll, and after you've prayed, um, the the best thing is to do is to go limp and just let uh, the thing do its couple of death rolls because they exhaust quickly, and then the the apparently. Um, the experts and, and survival scholars will say you survive the death roll by going limp and then you should be able to escape after that. I'm not going to test it, but that's the, um, that's the expert wisdom of the time. This is our last creature. The, the <laughs> Pete's been waiting for this one for his little Jaws quote. <laughs> What should you do when you're attacked by a shark? Or a great white shark? Punch it on the nose. Okay. If you're thinking of playing dead, then you're scuppered because they're not like brown bears and they will just eat you. They don't care whether you're looking alive or not. Uh, They're often scavengers. So it doesn't matter to it whether you're dead or alive, it will still eat you. Punching it on the nose... Have you ever tried to move quickly underwater? Have you ever tried punching uh, something hard underwater or moving quickly underwater? It is really, really difficult, almost impossible, to punch anything underwater, let alone a shark that is coming at you at 20 miles an hour. So let me suggest to you that While it's possible it can be done, it is very unlikely. The key to surviving a great white shark attack is to get your hands and claw at its eyes and its gills. It's a slim chance, but it might work. And uh, that's the uh, experts on uh, great white sharks suggest, you know what, the likelihood of you doing really well is not the same as with a bear or an alligator. The, uh, they're, they're quite good killing machines. So there you have a number of different animals, and there you have a number of different ways of escaping, and each animal is different in its own way, and they're not necessarily the first thing you'd think of if you weren't tutored in how to escape from a black or brown bear, you might just say, oh, I'll run away. And that is possibly the worst thing that you could do. And so there is this thing where your common sense and your conventional wisdom isn't enough. Now, this is um, Albert Einstein and a little quote that he gave. He said, uh, common sense is the collection of prejudices acquired by age 18. Albert Einstein is very famous for coming up with new theories, particularly in the realm of physics. In his framework of thought, light 
bends in gravitational fields, which I always think is quite cool. I don't know how it works, but the idea that light bends in gravitational uh, fields kind of blows my mind, and that is kind of accepted truth. And there is also this idea that the universe is expanding. I was trying to work out what it expanded into, but apparently that's an invalid uh, question. It's sort of dimensions are just increasing and it's not going into anything. The theories, the general theory of relativity and the special theory of relativity by Albert Einstein are hard work. Even Wikipedia, which kind of dumbs things down, makes things uh, uh, difficult to get your head round. And so when Albert Einstein came up with these ideas, the other scientists around were like, no, this doesn't sound right. It sounds weird and counterintuitive. We don't think you're telling the truth. And so Albert Einstein had to fight people who thought they were following common sense all his life to show that his theories were again and again proved by scientific experiment. And so he came up with this phrase. Because people think, oh, it doesn't make sense, or it's not common sense, or it's not obvious to me. Well, just because of those things might be true doesn't mean to say this new bit of information is wrong. Just because you can't get your head around it doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it doesn't fit in nicely to your worldview doesn't mean it's wrong. Our hero today, Joseph, knew this to be true. And so he decided not to know that miracles didn't happen. He decided to accept a miracle that has never before or never after occurred. He allowed all his prejudices to go out the window and allow a truth that no one ever believed up to that point apart from Mary. By accepting this truth, this new truth that was outside his framework of understanding, this carpenter put his treasures in heaven. He said, you know what? I value God and his kingdom more than right now and right here. And this morning, I suggest the much of the truth that we pride ourselves on, the things that we think are important and value, they are often nothing but prejudice. The things that our parents have taught us, the things that we have sort of picked up at school and at work, the way that we think things work, these are often prejudices rather than uh, God's truth. If we choose our prejudices over God's truth, we'll get left out of history, we'll become a divorced carpenter who history just forgets and we have no place in eternity but and I'm sort of closing here if we allow the fact that God indeed might be real and that he has something to say right now we open ourselves up 
to all sorts of possibilities that weren't there when we were prejudiced and closed-minded. For each of us can have significance in the life, in this life and the next. And that can only begin by accepting the arrival of Jesus. Here's the beginning and end of this revelation. Here's the start and finish of allowing our prejudices to fall to the ground and saying, this first century son of a carpenter who died horrifically at the hands of the Romans, he has the most important thing to say to me above all else. It doesn't necessarily make common sense. It is not the conventional wisdom out there. If you asked your parents, if you asked your friends and family, they would look at you like you're weird, just as all the scientists looked at Einstein about him being weird about the theories. But it did not mean that Einstein was wrong. And just because everyone else thinks you're wrong, it does not mean that you are wrong. This life now and forevermore starts with the admission of Jesus' death and resurrection. Such a strange faith, and it is a strange faith. It may not be the reality of life that we expect. We may not think that this is how life should be. But if we deny Jesus, we are, it's a bit like, playing uh, dead with a black bear. You're going to get devoured. You're going to miss a trick. You are going to lose out. Your common sense may seem common to you, but it is far from sensible. To see Jesus for who he is would be like recognising that the universe is expanding. It is right. Other people may laugh at you, but it is correct and it is provable and this belief doesn't just finish at believing Jesus is a historical character who lived and died for you but that he is an ongoing concern and I think most of us in this room can agree to that that Jesus matters still today that we are not celebrating Christmas just because it's a nice thing to do because our bank balances are too big and we just need to spend lots of money to get the economy kick-started. Christmas time is important and that Jesus is foundational to our lives and we get the opportunity every day to look for what God is doing in our lives and to join him in that. And while everyone else knows that it's common sense to be selfish, um, uh, to uh, pursue their own way in life, to choose their own truths, to do whatever they see fit, we go, you may think it's common sense, but it's also idiocy. It's a prejudice that doesn't work. It has no eternal dimension, all that sin and rebellion and immorality. And so... We who love Jesus, we have a different sense. We love everyone around us, regardless of whether they bought us a Christmas present and got us a card or not. We forgive 
quickly because we know how important forgiveness is. We act generously because we've got a God who has acted more generously to us than we could possibly return. We behave kindly even to those that behave unkindly to us. We hope and we trust and with Alistair we pray. By living with conventional cynical wisdom There is only death and defeat to look forward to. But living against the conventional wisdom of our age, we um, shout at black bears, we are quiet before brown ones, uh, we run away from alligators and we grab sharks by their gills. We go against what would naturally occur to us and we adopt a lifestyle and a belief and a faith that will actually win out. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment in time to come together. Lord God, we thank you for this story of Joseph. We thank you that he allowed this single dream to determine his future rather than all the conventional wisdom of his time. Lord God, I pray that each one of us will not be daunted by all the critics and cynics that we encounter about our faith. Lord God, I pray that it would always be real and true to us, that Jesus, we would ever know you are walking by our side, that Holy Spirit, we would ever know that you are in us, and Heavenly Father, that we would know that you are always going before us. And uh, Lord God, I just pray as this uh, uh, Christmas time climaxes that we may enjoy your generosity yet again. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.